Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews, insights, project management, leadership trainings and lessons learned from the field of healthcare to improve the delivery of your projects and business performance. Hi, welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. Today is really special. I am interviewing my old line manager, Audrey Songher. She was a fantastic manager and a mentor to me when I worked at university just before I set this business up. She was really kind, really supportive. She's very inspiring. Um, We had some really honest conversations and now I run this business. I'm like, oh God, Audrey, (laughs) I was a bit of a nightmare to you, but it was just really nice hearing her approach to management, even though I experienced it. It was nice hearing her perception on her management style, on her leadership style, what motivates her, her views and perceptions on how to build a high-performing team. She's a very caring person. She's all about people. She's all about education. She gave me so many opportunities, opportunities that will benefit me for a lifetime and my family's lifetime. She's very generous in granting training opportunities and just really always making the time for me. She said to me, she says on the interview, when the door is open, you know, like she's got an open door policy, except when it's closed. And that is true. Every morning, the door would be open unless she was in a meeting, unless she had something private to do. Super approachable and just really knowledgeable. And I just think that's what, that's what you want your line manager to be. It's what you want your mentor to be. This episode is for any line manager or any aspiring manager or any business owner responsible for others. You will listen along and smile and be like, yep, been there, I agree, or maybe I don't agree. It will make you think about your values as a leader, what you think makes a high-performing team. I know it will prompt you to think, is there anything I could be doing differently, anything I could be doing better? And I know that this conversation will make you reflect on who you are as a leader, where you are now and where you want to be and how you are going to create an environment where you can really build that culture and that high-performing team. So I hope that you enjoy. Hi Audrey, thank you so much for joining me on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Tara. It's great to be able to speak to you again after a few years. I'm really pleased you're doing so well. Thank you. So I wanted to get you on because you used to be my line manager back when I worked at Canterbury Christchurch University just before I set up the business. And you were a really good line manager to me and a mentor to me. And even though this podcast is about healthcare, I think leadership is leadership and management is management wherever you are. We work together in a university setting, but I definitely think the conversation is applicable to to everybody. I'd agree with that. Yeah. So let's just dive straight in. Can you share a little bit about yourself and your experience to date? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, my background actually was in was in teaching. My first love was in teaching French. And then I used the French to work at Christchurch to work on projects, um, transnational projects, mainly in France, but then branching out all across Europe. And that's relevant for what I want to say later in response to some of the questions that no doubt you'll be putting my way. So really, all that I'm implying there is I've, I've very closely worked with people, either with students or with people on project teams, Um, And working with people is something I enjoy, particularly in an educational setting. 
Hence why I worked at the University of Christchurch for 18 years, worked my way through from project officer to project manager, and then to assistant director of what was the Centre for Enterprise and Business Development. Started off as a business development unit, morphed over the years. And then when I left two years ago, two and a half years ago, it was a research and enterprise development centre. It's a bit of a whistle-stop tour about where I started and, and where I ended up and why. So people people and education, I suppose, are my two motivating. I can't remember. How big was our team when we worked at university? The team varied, but it, it, at one point it was, it was something like 20, and then it sort of moved and would go down to about 15. I can't remember the actual numbers, but... Back in the day when we started out, when I started out there, we were kind of funded by the projects that we brought in. So the numbers would go up and down depending on the success of the projects. And then later we were showed that we had value to the university and, and moved towards asking them or persuading them because of the value of us to them to fund us from core funding. And so we, we worked differently as time went on. And, and, and obviously evolving is an important part of any process and, and an individual. Describe your approach to managing a team. My approach was fairly informal. You might disagree uh, on that as we go through. I'm sure you will <laughs> at some point. <laughs> That's one of our one of our strengths, I think, is our honesty with, with being able to speak to one another. I was very informal on a day-to-day basis, but whereas I think the processes, formal bureaucratic processes of, of management and line management can be seen as a bit of a waste of time by some people and counterproductive and all those negative things. Actually, I think that the formal processes are there for a reason. So I was more formal when it was necessary. So when we had meetings and one-to-one and whole team meetings, because those processes enable everyone to know where and who they can go to for support, for guidance. And if, for example, there was a situation like a grievance procedure, it's really important that those steps and those processes and those people on the way are known to everyone and that offers protection for everybody in a kind of a neutral way if you like because when you're working with people especially if I think people said I could sometimes be a bit like a mother hen if you really cared about people in that way then you kind of need that formal process to take you out of that way when it's necessary. What's your informal approach? Is that just like your nature, your personality, or have you learned that? Have you changed your leadership style, the more experience that you have got because you found some ways not to have been as effective? Yes, I think it, you learn that you, there has to be a sort of a, not a gap, I can't really think of the word, but a, between you and the people that you're managing at certain times, there has to be that little bit of distance because people that expect that of you as well. It's not just a, th- a thing that you think, oh, God, I'm a manager, so, you know, get me. I'm going to be all, you know, managerial. Again, it's people expect certain things of you when you're a manager, quite rightly. You know, you're on that pay grade. They want you to see that you, you're, you're, you're acting to that. It, it also is a, a very personal thing. I had to learn to step back because my instinct is to nurture people and to, to be close to people. What do people expect from a manager? Oh, my goodness. Well, I always, I always used to say that my, my door is always open unless it's shut. And by, <laughs> that, I mean, and by that, I meant that I was always available accessible. The only time my door would be shut is if I was in a meeting or a confidential phone call or, <laughs> as you know, working with figures. So I think if a manager, people expect 
you to deal in a confidential way with things that are confidential. They expect you to be accessible, but understand when you need to withdraw, but understanding why you need to withdraw at certain times, and that would be to get the job done. But I think if you're accessible and open to people, and I think they probably expect that of you, then that works both ways because then they're accessible and open to you. And that's what makes a better functioning team. It's quite difficult to know what people expect. I think if, if what I expect of my manager would be that I could open up and that they could be accessible to me. Okay. And I think that's, that's what, I do believe that's what people want. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think makes a high performing team? Okay. It's really important because the team is the key word. You know, a manager is only as good as their team, in, in, in my view. I really, I, I believe that. And each team member needs to know not just what they need to do in their role and how to do it, but why they're doing it. I think that's really important. Otherwise, people are acting in, in sort of isolation, and that can be marginalising, can marginalise them. It can cut them off from the wider team. So understanding what their role is, what other people's roles are, and why they're doing it is important. They need to know and understand their role is important to the functioning of the team, the department and the organisation, you know, where they fit in to the overall strategy and direction of the organisation. That's really important to, to, to share that with them, to ask people and, and to ask people to go out and find out what the organisation is about. I suppose on a practical day-to-day basis, it means working collaboratively, supporting and respecting each other. And I think we really had that in the team um, that I worked with and in. But we had our ups and downs, but, you know, it's part of the complexity of being human. And I think the main thing is as a manager, as a leader, to treat people as human beings and understand that, that is a com- they are complex individuals. There isn't a one-size-fits-all to individuals. You know, the clue's in the word, yeah. individual. <laughs> so working together, supporting, respecting each other. And one word which you'll recognise is caring. It's fundamental to what you do in your job, in in your professional life and in your personal life. It's about caring, genuinely caring about each other. So you mentioned we had ups and downs and like Mm -hmm. any team, any family, there are ups and downs. Some of it is just it happens for whatever reason. You wake up one day and you're not feeling it. But why do those ups and downs occur and how do you turn the down upside down? to be up again (laughs) okay well yeah that's that that can be quite hard and especially I think the hardest time is if you're going through an organizational change and we did that a lot but I think if if you have a manager who demonstrably cares about you demonstrably cares about the team the department and the organization who you respect then that makes the job of rebuilding any sort of demotivations up again it's very difficult to articulate how you do that but I think again it's on a personal basis I think probably if there was a general feeling of anxiety uh, say through an organizational change process then I would definitely meet with individuals one-on-one basis find out what they're particularly worried about what they're concerned about And then probably take some of those issues back into a team meeting, but in a general way so that you're not targeting any one person's particular concerns. Because in a team that works closely and may have worked together for many years, 
you can quite easily, as a co-worker, identify who their manager might be talking about. Yeah. Know? So it's very important to try and stay neutral. And this is where it comes back to our earlier point about as a manager, this is where you need to step back or a little bit for the good of the whole team to try and be neutral and work together on the team to try and build up that motivation. Away days work. We had one of those. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> um, except uh, I'll never forget sailing down the side of a huge tower. Never again. I think for me, I suppose in my experience, it, you do have to address it. And I think sometimes it's hard to address, especially if you don't have the answer and it is difficult and not everybody in the, everybody in the team feels, some people are very vocal and some people are very quiet. Some people will never, you never really know what they're thinking and it's finding that way to address it that doesn't feel confrontational or you're putting people on the spot when you say what do you think and if that person really doesn't feel comfortable in that space but it is finding a way not to just sweep it under the carpet and kind of go along and hope it will fizzle out. From a personal and a managerial perspective that's just making things more difficult yeah so I think understanding your team and knowing those people who prefer to to not be vocal or visible in meetings, but do have something to say, then the one-to-one meetings are, are, are very good. And I would expect that those uh, individuals, line managers as well, to be but to be doing that. Um, I mean, I, I was a director, but there were line managers as well who had responsibilities. And it's everybody's responsibility to try and address these things and bring it to my attention or bring it to your line manager's attention and hopefully try and work on it together. That's particularly important in a conflict situation where you get sort of slightly more, what should we say, escalated conflict situations. So one of the things you've really made me try to build into this business is training and time to really kind of perfect your role and understand what you're doing. You were very generous with with that and allowing us all to train and I got to go to India, I got to do my MBA, I got to do so, so many courses. And I know that's kind of part and parcel of being in a university, but you didn't have to. And it, there was never really any questions asked. I never forget when I came to you and I said, can I do my MBA? And I prepared this really like long presentation around why it was going to be good. And I kind of went, kind of said, you know, can I do it? And you were like, yeah. And I thought, but I haven't done my speech. And you were like, yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> That could be quite disappointing then. Sorry about that, all the work you put into that. Um, I think the answer to that is probably back to my first two words that I said to you that sort of were my motivation and my mantra, if you like, which is education and people. Mm-hmm. Education is never wasted. Personal development goes hand in hand with professional development. I have benefited hugely from education, coming from a working class family, first person in university. Um, i did an undergraduate degree when I was 38. I started because of family circumstances. I couldn't do it when I was young. I then did a master's a few years later. And then in September, I graduated with a doctorate from Christchurch, which I'm immensely proud of. It took me quite a long time to do that working full time. You know what that's like. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't I want to pass on those opportunities that I had to other people? It's more than about training. It's, It's broader than that. It's more than about the skills and knowledge. It's about helping colleagues grow, evolve and adapt because every organisation adapts over time. Well, the Henry Ford quote comes to mind, and he said, the only thing worse than training your employees and having them leave is not training them and having them stay. So I was just about to say, I remember us having a conversation where I think I said to you, if I still worked here, you know, in a year's time, would I be making the right decision? 
And you said no. It's funny you say that because when I was thinking through this and wrote a few notes down, I wrote that as well because I remember that. That's probably <laughs> one of the hardest things I had to say. I think, if again, if you genuinely care for somebody, you have to recognise that encouraging them to look elsewhere is probably better for them and ultimately, potentially, better for you and the, and the team because that person may not be happy for various different reasons. I recognise that you were highly ambitious. That was clear very highly ambitious. Uh, you want to achieve things at high speed. I guess that's the way you are. I know that's the way you are. And I remember saying to you, you know, during our frank and open discussions, and I think it was an appraisal, exactly what you've just said, that due to the slowly how slowly the institution worked and moved, that you're very likely to be frustrated at every turn and that you should seriously consider whether this was the right environment for you. Words to that effect. That was really hard for me to say. Were you sacking me? No, I was giving you <laughs> advice. Tried. You just said it, you see. And, and also what you've, just articul- what you've just said there by that, that remark is how difficult it is hearing it as an employee. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you can quickly, and this is another thing to learn or, or advice to give, as a manager, your words can be interpreted differently to how you mean them. You can mean them in a positive way. People will hear a negative way. And that's a very difficult part of a manager's job is to try and word things so they don't offend, but support and encourage. So, um, I, you know, I would have loved to have kept you, but, you know, it was clear that you were going to move on, I think. I don't know what you think about that. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have. You have. I'm vindicated. Look, who are you? <laughs> what advice would you give to when you're promoting somebody within? and they're going to take on a line management position, what advice would you give to somebody? They, they know the team, people know them. It was a given that they were going to get the job, and now they're a line manager and something's got to change. Well, that's really interesting when you say it's a given they're going to get the job. It, it depends on your perception of why it's a given. And people will perceive that a particular role, because they are clearly strongly suited for the role, have been shoehorned into the role. And this comes back to why those formal processes are really important. In other words, in this case, interview processes. Because it can be quite difficult to step up and manage colleagues alongside whom you've been working for a number of years. It can be quite difficult. It's often more difficult for the new line manager than for the individuals they'll be managing. And this is when imposter syndrome can sort of raise its head as well. I'm looking at this at the start of my response is that from a manager's perspective, okay, from that newly appointed line manager, you can go into that role and you can have that imposter syndrome because you've been one of a team on an equal basis for so many years and suddenly you're elevated into this role. But you're not, it's not some divine process. You've gone through an interview process, a genuine, whatever the team might think, and I can say this with hands on heart, that all those interview processes that we had for people who were promoted internally were very rigorous, very fair, regardless of whatever people might have thought. But you have to manage those perceptions as well. Don't get me wrong. That's really important. What I'm trying to say is that when you get into that role, when a line manager gets into that role, they've got there legitimately. That's why those processes are important, because you can understand that you've been through that process. And more importantly, your colleagues understand you've been through that process. And some of them might have been at the interview process with you. You got it. They didn't. That's really hard, but that process protects everybody because they know how hard it was because they were there. You know, you will get people unhappy about it. That's something that that happens. 
as far as the line man, the new line manager is concerned, with regard to the practicalities of the role, you know, have an informal chat with each member of the t- of the team, people that you know. Explain that although you have views about how you see the team developing, because they will expect you to have views, Tora, <laughs> as you know, <laughs> quite rightly, you have to have views. Explain their views are equally important to helping the team move forward together. And don't be afraid to share any concerns or insecurities you have with your line manager. Mm. You know, it is, I won't pretend it's not difficult, but the line manager that you share those concerns with, your line manager in your, as in your new role, may very well have gone through those similar internal promotional steps as well and has a lot of advice to give. Did you get a lot of advice and mentorship and support from your line manager? Yeah, I did. I did get a lot. Of, well, I've had various line managers in the past and the, and the advice and guidance varied depending on the line manager. And I think that goes down to personalities. I tended to gravitate and have more in common with line managers who had more of a my approach to management, which was more of a people, compassionate kind of understanding. There were line managers who you described earlier as being a bit more uh, formal, and, you know, this is a job, you've just got to go it down. Seeing people as resources. But you also have to understand that those people have pressures as well. You know, they have to deliver X, Y and Z. But in my view, that doesn't stop you treating people as people and not as just purely resources that you can move around and, and things like that. So it's, it's going back to, to treating people as an individual, as, as, as human beings, really. That's the key thing. But yes, I did get a lot of support from most of my line managers. So the main reason I wanted you to come on here is you were, I think, and it's a compliment, (laughs) or (laughs) before you don't think it is, (laughs) you were more of a mentor to me, I felt, and that you were really good at sharing your experiences. You and Peter would be able to say, well, when I, I had a similar experience and this is what I did, or I never, I just, I remember so many things that you said to me, something had happened and we won't mention it, but we both know what we're talking about. <laughs> and I think you said to me, if I think your career is going the way that it's going, this may happen again. You know, what sort of person do you want to be? Do you want to be somebody that, you know, like you crumble and, you know, you die, you know, you wither away or, you know, like you take you kind of have to overcome it. What sort of person do you want to be? So to me, that was really inspiring. I used to go away and think, what sort of person do I want to be? What sort of manager? What sort of person do I want to be when um, I face conflict or when I face uncertainty? So you were very, um, very inspirational to me and really would say things to me that I maybe on the surface, I would just look at you, think, what am I going to do with that? And then... (laughs) Yeah, I got that lot. Um, (laughs) But I would really go away and really think, you know, really think carefully. And I think you helped, you slowed me down. And really, I think I'm a very reflective person. When things happen now, I really think about it and try to see things from different, uh, different points of view. You are quite neutral. So I think I would say it's mentorship. And I had lots of mentors and I would go to you for advice rather than direction on how to do my job, if that makes sense. No, it does make sense. And I'm, I'm glad you felt that way because that, that was what I was aiming at. And that comes back again to actually genuinely seeing that person and the potential in that person. 
because we can all pay lip service to helping individuals grow and evolve because institutions grow and evolve. But it's also that kind of empathy that's really important. And it's it's very difficult for me at the time as a whatever I was then in 50 odd years, put myself in the shoes of a, a young dynamic 20 something. But it, it, it cuts through age, it cuts through generations, it cuts through everything. It's just person to person and understanding, really recognising with my experience that what you were going through, generally you would come across again. And if you genuinely, and I knew you were going to, to move on and make, you know, grow in your own career, you, you had to be able to deal with that. Otherwise, you wouldn't get past that and be able to grow in your career. No one likes conflict. But it's going to happen. The longer you're in a career, that is going to happen. And how do you manage where you've got, you know, every team is different. You might have, you know, like you've got your A, the people that think they're A players, you know, like they're ambitious, they're driven, they want it yesterday, they want to be promoted, they want it all. You've got some people that just been there, done that, worn the T-shirt. They're not moving until they get their pension. They're not going anywhere. I <laughs> can do the job. You've got, that. You've got your plodders. They're not moving anywhere. You've got people in the middle. How do you balance all of those different characters? You've got people that are really outspoken. You know, like if you're going to implement a change, you need to go to them quite early on, you know, sound it out, see what they're going to, you know, see how disruptive they're going to be. How do you juggle all of that? And you've got a day job, you know, like I know. That is the day job. Yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> that is the day job. Oh, my goodness, there's a lot to be going on with there. It's really, really interesting, the perceptions that people have of their co-workers, which are maybe with different perceptions when you're the manager. So, for example, quite often I would say thank God for those plodders because the perception of the plodders by other co-workers, they're doing the job, and that's the crucial thing, actually. If the job's getting done and things are moving forward, and it doesn't mean because they're not performing and other people are overperforming or differently performing – there's a place in, a, in every team for individuals with different skills, personalities, ambitions and motivations, unless they're not delivering. Then you have to do something about it. All the time the work's getting done and that you're moving in the right direction, that's fine by me. When that's not happening, then there are those procedures again. You have your one-to-one meetings, you pick it up on those. And if the worst comes to the worst, you have a, a procedure where you can move people on. And, and where that's happened in the past to me as well, obviously I've been in this game a long time, I was just recently retired after 20 years in higher education. I was in it a long time. You're going to get people who you have to move on and out because they're not performing and that impacts on the team. And I will say, hand on heart, I would say that 99% of people who have moved on, and I'm not talking big numbers, fortunately, mm-hmm. I've met in the street year or two later and they said it's the best thing that's happened to them. Those people know they're coasting and eventually you will know. But for people who who stay there and perceive to be plodding on, you know, often they're the critical cog in the wheel of an effective team. They can be a reliable stickler for detail, but every every line manager needs that. Yeah. So it's I mean, my first director I had when I started at Christchurch, Dr. Terry Price, real character, he used to refer to himself as an oily rag because he was there to to oil the machinery of the team and of the department to keep it going for the bigger institution. He didn't really mean it, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a nice analogy. You know, it, it sort of brought you back down to earth and used to think, 
yeah you know we've all got a role to we've all got a role to play so it can be frustrating for a manager it also can be frustrating for a manager who sees potential in, in one of those cogs yeah <laughs> horrible word um you see potential i mean i had a colleague and if she listens to this you know i'm talking about who would make a brilliant project manager but she's not interested and i'd go back every couple of years and say you know you sure no i really like my job you know that might be a reason why they're staying there tara because they actually enjoy it and they don't want anything else and they've got a you know other reasons why they just need to come in nine to five do their job and go as long as the job's being done but like I said, it didn't stop me asking over a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine. You know, accept that. That's, she did a really good job in what she was doing. So that's fine. When you're recruiting people, what are you looking for? And I know it's dependent on the job, but when you think about everybody that you've worked with, what is it that when somebody sits in front of you, let's trust they've got the skills, you know, you think mm-hmm. they've got the skills and experience mm-hmm. on their CV and you only know once they get into the job. But when somebody's sitting in front of you, what are you looking for to think, I think you'd be good in this team? Well, that you just sort of said it, how they would fit into the team. Okay. Because if you had four interviewees for the same role and each of them, as you've said, had the same skills and everything and it was really, really difficult to decide... It's, a, it's an interviewer's nightmare, really, that you've got brilliant, all, loads of brilliant people because then you've got to make a decision. And something, I, I, you know, this is obviously all of these comments I'm making to you are my personal approach and opinions yeah. on, on how to manage. There isn't, There are loads of books out. There are loads of ways to do it. But this is how what I feel. It, to some extent, you have to go on that instinct about how you feel they fit into the team because that's really important. That's also quite difficult to tell in a, in a half hour, hour's interview. Yeah. It comes back to formal processes. There are ways to make that job not just yours as chair of the panel or as the director or as a line manager. And and what we used to do quite effectively was we used to get members of the team either to have an informal chat, so they'd be greeted downstairs and they'd have a chat. We bought a coffee and have a chat. And, you know, it's not like spying. It's just trying to relax them and just sort of get a feel for, for who they are. And then you might have them do a, a short presentation to some a team of line managers or people they'd be working for or closely with. That gives them a chance to sort of rehearse and relax again before they get into the, the formal panel with you as the chair or whoever. Mm. And then afterwards, you can gather other people's opinions about how they saw. And, and again, probably nine out of ten, the conclusions that they came to would be the ones that you came to. Not always. It's never that neat. But someone's got to make a decision somewhere along the line. And again, that comes to responsibility of the chair. And you have to live and die by those decisions. And it's never just your decision. There is a panel. But as a director or as a chair, you have the casting vote, which um, can be a double-edged sword, obviously. And I've had people in the past where we've appointed and it hasn't worked out. Mm. But law of averages that's going to happen too and it's just knowing how to deal with that did you ever feel nervous to recruit so it's not your business but it's your team it's your budget were you ever nervous to add people when you started to get really busy or Mm. was it just full you know like you just that's what you did you just as soon as you got busy and there was enough budget you'd just bring on the next person it was a bit like that you had to back in the day and it changed as I say over the years and when you were working there that's not how we operated but when we had our income through all funded projects and we managed the funded projects that we ran there was quite a pressure on 
Uh, but one of the reasons we, apart from our value to the university, one of the reasons we argued for core funding and not just relying on European funding or whatever the funding was coming in and then running those projects, the institution had all the eggs in one basket. So you were reliant on that. So if someone suddenly pulled all the European funding, oh, that sounds familiar, <laughs> where we are nowadays, then that is a risk. Because what would happen is you'd lose really good project managers because the project came to an end, only to then three months later, you know, get another half a million project or something. And then you had to go out through the recruitment process again. So it was very processy and frustrating. But it, again, I, that, that was part of the job. Yeah. You know, it, it just, you just, it was a necessity. You, know, you, you had to run the department and that was it. So as you bring this to a close, what advice, what would be your three top pieces of advice for a line manager, a director, a business owner in growing a high performing team? You value all the things that I value, I think. I think that came out. And I think one of the, starting off with the personal with you, it's my turn now. Okay. Um, <laughs> you challenged me and I found that quite difficult, but it was healthy. It was good. And what I liked when people challenged me was, or they'd come and knock on my door about something. And that was good because that meant they cared. You know, I forgot it, to mention. So, yeah, at one point you said to me, Tara, you're really hard to manage. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay well i have to be careful here um <laughs> you, you know because i encourage colleagues to be honest with me i often had to hear criticisms that were difficult to take but you can't have it both ways you have to yeah. up in your office and shy away from anything negative or positively critical because you can't deal with it or you don't want to hear it but i encourage people to be honest with me and you were more honest than most um <laughs> But, you know, what? it was really good because when you rightly challenged me about certain aspects of, of your role in particular, which was a challenging role, yeah. and I don't think it was a role, and I, I, I don't know who's going to listen to this, but I don't think it was a role that the university really understood and, and got at the time. And I think to, in that extent, we're a little bit ahead of ourselves, but no one really recognised that. So you often challenged me about your role and sometimes about mine, but that meant you cared. And I knew then that you valued all the things that I've already said were important to me. Uh, I suppose if I had to summarise them in words, it would be professionalism and integrity and, I suppose, caring. Um, not I suppose caring, definitely caring. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what, what, let me just say that, you know, you're young, you're dynamic. I used to find you quite exhausting and I felt slightly overwhelmed by you. But what was really interesting realisation for me as a line manager from, from our interactions was that I recognised that, having to manage you and work with you and help you grow, that was my problem, not your problem. It's easy to put that on the other person and say, oh, you know, so-and-so is just difficult. No, not necessarily. As a line manager, you have to take that on board and learn how to, to manage that um, and, and work through that with that person. And I think compromise comes into it. And I think in the end, we work through any... I don't know what word issues or what any whatever. And I recognise that you were exceptionally talented and highly motivated and will move on sooner or later to an environment that appreciated you and, and that, that, that appreciated was better suited to your creativity and, and dynamism. I, I knew that. Didn't stop me approving the training, though. 
No, it didn't. And I think <laughs> what's um, really nice about that, and I suppose to people listening to this, that are line managers and directors, in, uh, responsible for s- supporting others, essentially, yeah. is that when you do have to let people go, you know, it's, it's for them and the team benefit, you as yeah. a manager benefits, even if it is difficult. I think people do want to be challenged in a positive way. Most people I come across want to do a really, really, really good job. And you don't learn how to do a good job by everybody just telling you how amazing you are all the time, because we're mm-hmm. not. It's, it's false. It's a lie. Yeah. And I think that if hopefully listeners take from this, I suppose you see both sides of the coin, and that I think, yeah, so much thought and care. And I think all line managers, we all really, really care. We all want to create a team or environment, a business where people want to come to work. The work has to be done to a good standard. But I think you reiterating, you know, those policies, I think some people think, you think policies, you think HR, you think, oh, but actually they are there to protect staff. And I think you, where you talk about having that bit of separation, because sometimes when you then you have to start going down formal processes, you can't be acting like their best buddy. You do have to have that bit of separation. And I think regardless of whether you've got your own business or not, we all have to go to somebody. You know, somebody commissions us to work and we have to respect that distance. I think that's really, really important. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think I think everyone comes into the office wanting to do a good job. Yeah. No one wants to come in and be disruptive and have a bad time. And then working environment behaviors people circumstances I say get in the way of that but like I said that's the job Mm. and dealing with that is the important thing if you want to keep the team running I think it's really important to treat colleagues as human beings rather than resources and they know that the difference but a line manager has to acknowledge and understand that because they're human beings they're complex individuals and and this one size fits all as I've said approach to manage them won't work It, it helps I'm genuinely interested in people and what makes them tick. And I find, this is an admission now, after all we've said, I find dealing with individuals who are widely perceived rightly or wrongly to be difficult or whatever, an interesting challenge. You do come across individuals in in your course of your work, of your career, who can be frankly obnoxious. And, you know, they talk down to you, they can be rude. If you're nice to them, they don't know where to go with that. My my point about that is, why not be nice? It doesn't cost anything. And ultimately, it wears down people's defences. They can't deal with nice. And, and then you can work on those. And I, that's what I meant when I meant when I say I see them as a, I see it as a challenge. In other words, to get them on the side. It could be harder with some people than other people. But it's worth the effort. It really is worth the effort. That's that human element that's really important thank you so much Audrey. I really appreciate I could talk to you all day um, <laughs> thank you really, busy really, job to do. I'm the one who's retired <laughs> really really appreciate it no it's been lovely to talk to you thanks for giving me the opportunity bye for now thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and we hope that you enjoyed it If you did enjoy it, we would love it if you left us an iTunes review or if you comment, like and share it on our social media channels. You can find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care and on LinkedIn, just look for Tara Humphrey. So the Business of Healthcare podcast is being brought to you by THC Primary Care. We are a project management company specialising in the development of primary care networks, GP federations and training hubs. 
If you need support or you are looking for advice on how to progress one of your initiatives, please drop us an email so I can arrange a call with you so we can discuss this further. Our email is admin at thcprimarycare.co.uk. We've been helping primary care networks with their development plans, helping them to make the most of their network meetings, sharing training resources. We've had questions like what do we include in a project plan? We have implemented network-based contracts across GP federations. We also support the day-to-day operational management of training hubs and have also got experience in setting them up from scratch. If we can't help you, we definitely know some people who will be able to help you, so please do get in touch. And that's just to remind you, our email address is admin at thcprimarycare.co.uk or come and find us on www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. And in the meantime, please tune in to the next episode of the Business of Healthcare podcast. <laughs>